Evan. Hey, Joe. Hey, what time is it? It's time for another episode of Runtime Run Rundown. Let's, Let's go. go. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Runtime Rundown. I am Joe. That is Evan over there. That's me. That's Hello. you. I I realized last time I introduced the show, uh, I didn't say my own name. I said, it's Welcome to Runtime Rundown, and that's Evan over there. <laughs> it's me and that guy, Evan. Uh, yep. I realized that we should probably introduce ourselves in every episode because, yeah. uh, I don't know, who knows? People might be coming on board and like, who the fuck are these guys? That's right. Uh, we are both front-end-ish developers at different companies. That's it. Yeah. That's all you get. <laughs> yeah, we got to come up with that. like a tagline for what we do for the show. But uh, we don't have to. We, yeah. we can workshop that later. Yeah. We'll workshop that. Yeah. yeah. Um, what's up? What's up, Joe? What's new with you? Let's see. What's new with me? Uh, I read this week that um, that WebKit is going to su- start supporting nested CSS. I thought that was kind of an interesting thing. Uh, maybe not interesting enough for a whole a whole episode devoted to it, but uh, but I thought when it was When you say nested cool. CSS, do you mean like SAS, the main reason why people still use SAS, which is you yes. could be within a class, be like ampersand, other class, yep. and then it compiles out? Oh, That's exactly SAS right. is effed. There's very few things left that SAS has over just regular CSS now. Yeah, I know that was that was my first thought too. Is is uh, that's like that is the main uh, kind of value value add that SAS gives you, or I don't know, in my opinion, one of them. Um, yeah, the the requirement I think is that like um, I don't remember exactly what it was, but you basically have to. I mean, the the only requirement is you have to use it like SAS. You need like an ampersand if you're gonna if you're gonna do nest or something like an ampersand. It just can't be a alphanumeric character. That's wild though, because that's you know. That's going to change a lot about how you even think about CSS because previously SAS would then compile out. And what I would always do is there's this tool called SASMeister, which is a REPL for SAS. And I would go to SASMeister and I'd put all my stuff in there and I'd be like, what is it actually going to do? And then I'd look at it on the right side. Now it's just going to be like that in the file. So that compilation step is going to happen in the veil somewhere. I, I wonder if, I don't know, there's got to have to be some sort of tooling to help people understand like complicated nested selectors. Um, yeah. Yeah, I would think I so. I, I mean, it's like modern JavaScript. It's like when you can look at modern JavaScript in the browser without, uh, I guess this came along with like some of the ES6 features or or a little bit after that, maybe some of the stuff that that you would formerly need Babel for in order to to uh, put through some kind of build step, but but now is supported in, in modern browsers. And so it's kind of a um, similar idea. You don't need to look at the source map, uh, the, the source map version of your code. You can just see it right there. Well, Okay, I mean that's exciting because I love that. And now I have another one. There's breaking CSS news apparently, uh, and everybody probably already knows this one. But as of Feb 14, this was so funny that um, Web Dev on Valentine's Day announced container queries land in stable browsers. Oh, uh, so if you're if you if you are a fan of the sysses and have been for years, you've been hoping for container queries. Basically. We always use media queries, right? You want to resize something uh, for a browser. And that typically works if you're a website owner. The problem is if you're doing, if you're like a, a design system owner, how do you make your components work in different things? You know, you have to like bend over backwards with weird, complex media queries. Container queries say, what is the size of the bounding container? And we've been hoping for this for 
a decade, at least like a super long time. Ever, ever since I've written CSS, I've been like, damn, that'd be really nice to know the size of the container. Um, and they landed. So like there was a huge push by Firefox to get this thing out. So Chrome, Firefox, Edge, and Safari all have it as of right now, uh, which is container queries and container units. So like that's phew, super exciting. And the syntax is really easy to figure out. Uh, you can just do at container max width and nice. then you do stuff in it. So it's like, oh, so sweet. So sweet. That, that is great. The uh, I was going to say, I was going to jump in and say, what are we, Shop Talk Show? Because I feel like we're <laughs> we're like covering a lot of the same ground that, that they do. But yeah, Shop Talk Show and Syntax have been talking about container queries for a long time, probably years at this point. And uh, and uh, yeah. Especially they're, Shop they're Talk all, Show. Yeah. Yeah. They've been all yeah. over. Yeah. Yeah. So it's pretty exciting. Exciting times in the land of CSS. I'll say that. Yeah, very exciting times. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Unless you have something else to talk about, we can jump right into our main segment. Go for you it. You got anything? No. <laughs> no, great. <laughs> this, is, this is going very <laughs> smoothly. What are you reading? <laughs> All right. I think it's my turn this time. So we're reading it, uh, an article. I'm going to start real quick. This uh, article is highly predicated on a single word that we don't really want to say. And the way, okay, I'll just go for it. Joe's probably going to bleep it out. After he bleeps it, we're going to change the word to jerks. It's yep. basically another word for jerk that is highly gendered. We'll just leave it yep. there. Yep. Uh, so the article we're reading is, please developers, don't be d And it's by Vince Buffalo. And uh, this is just an, a general article about some things that developers tend to do. Uh, it's weird. Like, I, I'm not sure if this is unique to developers, but I do think there is something unique about developers. We have like a particular set of elitism or something like that in this community sometimes. So this article is just don't do these things. There's a series of things not to do. And uh, I don't want to like give any of it away. So we can just we can just get in. But basically, we're, we're going to teach you in this episode things not to do. Uh, and I, when I read this article, I just immediately thought of a single person. Uh, that's a mutual, a mutual friend of ours. <laughs> um, but I'll leave it there. <laughs> um, yeah, let's leave it there. Let's not let's not let's not name let's not name and shame that person publicly. Uh, okay. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, I, I think, um, yeah, let's, let's start from the beginning. So what I like about this article is, uh, it, it comes to the, comes with the perspective of empathy. So the very first paragraph is, uh, is we've all been there and this person likes their acronyms. So they, <laughs> they come up with the W A B T acronym. We've all been there. And, uh, and it, I think it's, uh, it's always good to remember this because, you know, as you uh, as you answer a lot of questions, uh, whether it be on open source and you're maintaining a project and you have to kind of feel uh, field a lot of the same questions, or whether you're ho helping people in like your office Slack channel, you tend to answer a lot of the same questions. And uh, the thing you got to remember is like for the person asking that question, it's their first time asking that question. You, they have never been <laughs> been exposed to this, and so you got to put yourself in their shoes and think we've all been there. Um, but what I like about this, uh, this, this, this section is like, talks about the X, Y problem. So this is, uh, this yeah. is something that, yeah, that, that we've talked about before the X, Y problem is, um, you ask a, you, you ask the question X, but it's actually 
you're trying to solve the problem. Why? So like you're as, as the asker, you're not really aware um, that the, that the immediate problem you're trying to solve is actually part of a, a, a bigger, uh, bigger problem or like a, it's actually a different, you're looking for a different solution. I've actually had a bunch of definitions of the XY problem. Um, all coming back to the same thing. I used to say the XY problem is you're asking X, but you don't know why. And it, like oh, WHY. Yeah. Oh, that's good. But, <laughs> that's good. <laughs> uh, but the the other the other definition of the XY problem is uh, like a, a new user comes to you and is asking, how do I do Y? Because they think it's the solution to their actual problem. When in reality, that's not the right solution to the actual problem. And what you'd hope is that they would just accurately and with as much information as possible, state the problem. And then the people with the subject matter expertise could help you find the right solution. And then you say, how do I do that solution? But people, you know, this is a tough line because if you just come with a problem and no solutions, people sometimes get mad about that. You know, you know they say like, why did you give it a shot? Try, do something. You know, your stack overflow is littered with, well, did you try it? Uh, comments, which is really frustrating. So people are sort of, cultured to try and at least find a solution and then they'll get into it and they get into the weeds of it and then they're like oh, i'm stuck and then they and now they're just deep and so they go how do i how do i do this and then the the person in good faith that they're asking is like oh i'll help you do that and then they realize way too late in the process that it wasn't the right thing to do and if they had just known the problem in the first place so this is this is kind of nuanced uh but in general just remember the core pro like the core uh Preposition, preposition proposition here is that we've all been there. So just put yourself in their shoes a little bit and be empathetic. And I say this, but so, sometimes the, you know, the candle burns out and you're just like, oh, yeah, I can't listen. I can't yeah. do, There's a line here, right? I can't, I can't answer one more stupid question right. <laughs> about our, you know, our like tooling setup or something like that. Yeah. I think, you know, some of these articles and this one is no exception are good reminders to ourselves to like, Hey, just, uh, make sure you're, you're being empathetic when you're, when you're, uh, approaching things. And, um, I, you know, I, I like what this person talks about because it's like the people who are asking these questions, you know, I think the, the response tends to be from somebody who is more knowledgeable in a certain area, the response tend to be, Oh, this, this will be a teachable moment. And I'm going to like teach this person that they're asking the wrong question. They're going down the wrong path. But like, if you're a jerk about it, then you, I, for some, I don't know for whether that's the default response, or if you think that's going to help them learn the, the, to ask the right questions or what, but I don't know the, this person points out like these, this person is already frustrated. That's why they're asking for your help and being a jerk is just going to make them more frustrated. And they're really not going to, they're not going to grasp anything. And I like the last sentence here. They're not going to have an aha moment when they're too busy trying to come up with a witty response to your burn on IRC. Um, yeah. And it's a good, it's a good thing to remember because it's, it's very easy sometimes I think to just dash off an answer where you're like, ah, oh, you, you, you're not even asking the right question, but like, put, just put, you know, we've all been there, put yourself in their shoes. Yeah, there's a, there is a flip side to this. So, you know, I don't want to just put it all on, be nicer to everybody because that's true. And you should do that. Also, if you're asking questions of people, do your best to give it, you know, to give a detailed, don't just say, I don't know, this is broken. Oh man. Uh, so have <laughs> empathy the other way too, because, yeah. uh, you know, we oftentimes will pile on the, you, you know, the open source maintainer or something like that and say, look, you're, you're being a jerk. Uh, in all your responses and they are, they're probably like beleaguered on all sides by inbounds. Uh, 
and a lot of those inbounds might be of extremely poor quality. It's just like, this is broken. This doesn't work. No other context. There's a, the, there's a website called the no hello. It's like no hello.net. It says, <laughs> don't just say hello and nothing after that. In oh Slack, man. <laughs> uh, where it's like, Hey, hand wave. And then you have to wait for it and be like, yes, what's up? And then like, uh-huh. Oh, I just wanted to ask you this. It's like, just ask the question. So ask a good question and be as as forthright as possible with the problems that you're facing and know that they also have a ton of demands on their time. So it has to go both. It's a two-way street. Uh, it, I just wanted to say that too, because I feel bad sometimes. Like There are sometimes it's really tough to answer tons of inbounds, especially when they're crappy. Like I think we're both thinking of a Slack channel at our old job where we both work together, where some people would ask the same question and it's like pinned. There's a response like right there. It's like how to solve this. And they'd still be like, this is broken. Like, yeah, I just can't. T- I can't take one more. Yeah, I was just thinking about uh, about like trying to communicate on Slack, and actually, like what I was thinking about is is trying to get out in front of that because you can pin uh, information to a Slack channel. Um, you can like y- there are just all these different ways uh, of of doing. It. I think in the open source in GitHub in particular, there's a really good way of solving this, or at least getting closer to a solution, which is using issue templates to to outline the uh the the heading you know i'm trying to trying to think of the best way to put this but if you've ever if if you've never used a github issue that has something like this it will basically pre-fill out a lot of the information for you so it'll be like what's the problem you're uh, you're having uh you know part two what were you expecting to happen part three um what uh operating system are you on you know it it, it kind of like f- pre-fills out a lot of the information that you as a maintainer need in order to help solve this person's problem because you want to solve the person's problem. Um, we're getting like a little bit off, off track here, but it's harder in Slack because you don't have that template unless you put like a blocking workflow in there. And then people are like, oh, I can't, I can't uh, post in this channel or anything like that. Yeah. Uh, to get us back on track. So I did have one thought about this. To help you with the we've all been there problem, if you're starting, if you're feeling burned out on answering questions and you're just starting to realize that, and this is a good time to reflect and you listen to this episode, how am I doing? Maybe I am not being as empathetic. One thing that you could do is uh, forget the episode, but you go back a little bit further uh, about how to be like an excellent developer. Um, I forget the episode title, but in there it said, you know, you want to experience at, you know, as much as you can being the the absolute master in a subject matter area and being the novice in it too. So if you can yeah. go out and be you know, try and be a contributor to like the Rust framework or something, you know what I mean? Just go be a white belt somewhere yeah. and be on the other side of that coin because you get so entrenched in this in your daily workflow and the technology that you use and all this stuff that you are you are the uh, subject matter expert. And then it's, you have to answer all the questions, be on the other side of that coin. And it might help you have more empathy. Cause I found that recently with like a couple of things I'm really green in. And then I just remember how hard it is to get help sometimes. And it kind of <laughs> reminds you that it sucks. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, all right. Jumping to the next section, we have uh, PCTM has, and again, with the acronyms, uh, PCTM has the same number of letters as RTFM. So PCTM Stands for please check the manual, and it has the same numbers as I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna g- do a little clean it, clean up this phrase here. Re- read the friendly manual RTFM, um, and uh, basically, <laughs> basically it is not person, that word. It's not friendly. <laughs> this person says like uh, 
you know, there, there's a nice way and a, and a, uh, not as nice way to say the same thing. And so like kind of take the, take the extra second and think about how your tone is coming off. I think tone is really hard to get right, especially in written communication. And so it's, it's, uh, it's important to think about this stuff, but this person's main point is make an FAQ, like take all of these common questions that you get asked, say in a Slack channel or in, in GitHub conversations, make an FAQ, compile those questions come up with clear, definitive answers for those questions that you're getting. And then whenever anybody asks those questions, you can say, oh, we, we have an FAQ, you know, instead of saying, read, read the manual, just go, whatever, go, go, go here, point them to some like docs that are just, uh, you know, their answer is buried within lots of other documentation about other stuff. You can say, oh, we have that answer right here and, uh, and go, go check it out. And, uh, then if you have any other questions, come back here and, and we can talk about it in the thread or something like that. But but I think that's uh, I've I found that to be a, a powerful tool and it's maybe one that's l not immediately thought of. Maybe, you know, maybe the reason why we think of it is because we work in a pretty big organization um, and uh, it's just it, it takes a little bit of extra upfront effort. But in my ex experience, it's really worth it to create some documentation uh, and, and an FAQ and just say, hey, go, go, go check this out. Other people have had the same problem. Yeah. And it's, it's getting too easy to do the right thing here with, um, there's like a bunch of great docsite generators. There's a bunch of tooling now for helping your documentation get better. Um, geez, you could use chat GPT to write better documentation. That's true. Just saying people are doing it. Um, there's lots of ways to do this, but even I think the point of this as well as yes, I think that's a good take is like as much as you can write better docs, is you answering questions at scale, which I think is really what you want to do. It, you don't want to be the single point sitting in a stool, essentially of the internet as people walk by you one in a line. You want to have like a big, you know, a compendium of information so those people can all get it and go. It's also how you respond when people ask questions that are clearly documented really well. Because So you're going to write great docs. People are going to ask questions that are clearly answered in the docs because they just didn't read it. And and then think about like the way I solve this is I have a canned uh, response for this where it's like I bake in the niceness. I'm like, hey, I really appreciate your question. You know, I think this could be found in this section of our documentation. Uh, and like if you have any more questions after you read that, feel free to come back to me. And I have that in a note on the side. I have a couple like canned Slack responses and that's one of them. So I don't have to generate that niceness when I'm like you jerk why didn't you just read like is, is there's the basic table stakes right like you want people to just read the docs first not everybody's going to do that so i have the canned response and then i just backfill the link to the section that i want them to read and eight times out of ten they won't come back uh because they got what they needed from the docs and if otherwise you know at least i wasn't a jerk and then they'll come back and say hey they didn't really answer my question I'm like oh well i can improve my docs and that's like its own that's its own feedback loop, a nice flywheel too, because you actually, you hope that they actually went and read them and didn't get what they needed. And then say, and then when you're done helping say, how can I improve the docs? And I've gotten rare. It's rare that people say, oh, you know what? I'm going to help you. But some people do. And then when that happens, it's really helpful because you get like on ground information to improve your docs. Yeah. Absolutely. There, there's a person uh, we used to work with, and I'll name him because this is not a, this is not a, a, a shame. This is the opposite of a name and shame. This is a name and uh, name and great job, which is uh, Ray O'Connor. He, uh, he's always great at that. Like when you know, if if you if you point him sort towards some documentation, and uh, and he finds something lacking, he will update those docs and, and create a PR for you. And uh, 
it's great. Love that. Yeah. Appreciate Ray it. O'Connor, yeah. excellent. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, let's see the next section. People remember jerks. Uh, this is so important to remember because like in the moment, you know, you might be, you might just be kind of like rushing through something and you're distracted and you have Slack open and you get a ping and somebody is asking you a question that you're like, oh, why don't you just look at the docs and you're, you, you give them a, uh, a dash off a response, but like people are going to remember that, especially in their, in their kind of vulnerable moment where, where they might've taken, it might've taken some courage to ask a question like this in a public forum. Um. You're gonna, they're going to remember you in that moment as not being uh, your your very best self. And this this guy kind of goes on to talk about, um, you know, one, there are many different uh, conclusions to that or many different sort of paths that that can lead down. The one that, that this person talks about is interesting. Uh, I wouldn't have necessarily thought about this, but uh, it talks about ha- having a negative experience with somebody in an open source project. And this person basically says like, uh, it was so negative that I decided not to contribute to this open source project. And uh, and we'll get to this in, in a little bit, but he talks about forking the project instead. And I don't know if they actually ended up doing that, but we can talk about that in a little bit. I, I just thought that that was, that was one of the many paths that, that uh, you know, being a jerk in the moment can lead to. Yeah, there's a, what I like about this one, there's a phrase, I don't remember the exact, I'm paraphrasing, but it's basically like customer service is free, being nice is free. And again, really hard to do this all the time. I get that. Um, but you you can alienate someone immediately and then you just like lost a contributor for years and years where someone could have been, if you gave them the time of day, they could be a valuable member of your team. In general, like golden rule stuff. Um, you don't, there's just this weird elitism sometimes that happens with developers and they, they like lord it over you how much they know or that you don't know enough. And uh, you know, that, I'm sure that happens in other trades and stuff, but I've got, you know, I've got friends in actual trades and I worked in the trades. It just doesn't, that's not the case. Like you want everybody on your team to be as effective as possible. So like you have a lot of knowledge sharing and yes, there are, there are definite outliers and stuff, but it just seems weird. Like our industry seems particularly tuned for this exclusionary behavior sometimes, like a tribal behavior where we build these walls around our communities. And then only after you've proven yourself, you get to come in. And I, I, that's not always the case, but I do think it'd be nicer if we were a bit more beginner friendly as an industry. Uh, this is one thing, like, just don't just, just at least at the very least be neutral at the, at the very least bare minimum. Just be like, I can't help you right now. Instead yeah. of lighten them up, you know? Yeah, exactly. It, it is. It does seem to be this like endemic problem in engineering and 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 like the culture of engineering. And it's not everywhere, but like this person even talks about. You know, I I mean, maybe it's. I don't know. I don't have any sense of where it comes from. But this person does mention um, how he says something like, "Oh, this isn't the early days of like IRC chat anymore of like Usenet where it was acceptable. It was an acceptable norm to be a jerk. Like it's just not because." Uh, a lot of the world's software is built on open source software as as a foundation. And if and if you, as an open source maintainer of a large project, are a jerk and people end up, uh, you know, say forking the repo or something like that, now you have this this divided uh, divided project that could be so much stronger if it was if it was maintained. Um, I think about and actually like getting back to uh, one of the previous sections. 
um, this guy is talking to another developer about his bad experience with with this, with this one developer. He calls them Tom and Jerry. So Tom was the was the jerk, and Jerry is the guy that he goes talk to, to about Tom. And Jerry was like, "Oh yeah, I had the same experience." And like you can you can develop a reputation if you're not careful, and that can hurt you not just in the short term, but like long term if you are. I mean, in the open source community or at a big organization, like you, t- as your influence as your influence grows, you tend to need to form alliances with people. Not in terms of like, uh, in terms of like one group of people against another, but you need to you need to form a network of people who are there to support each other. And if you are uh, creating factions in that or dividing, you know, groups into subgroups, that can be really. Um, it can be really detrimental to to the gr- the growth of the organization as a whole. Yeah, the the flip side of this is people remember good people. So I've had some really good experiences with uh, developers that changed the trajectory for me. You know, that then I remember them forever, and I would if they asked me for anything, I would help them. Uh, you know, a random one is. Um, so Dan, a coworker we worked with, Dan was always really nice early days. He'd been in JavaScript for years and years. Now it's new to it. He was always kind with his knowledge. He would just listen to you and talk through stuff. Uh, Eric H from the home base team was another guy. who was just like, he'd been entrenched for years, was very helpful. Mm-hmm. And then there's people on the other side of that train that were really not nice that I still remember. And I wouldn't help them. Now, like, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, obviously if there was some dire situation, yes, I'm not like a vindictive person, but I'm not going to go way out of my way either. So it's these little things like the, I just want to say the community is smaller than you think. Like mm-hmm. there's, there's not that many software engineers and there's, there's a lot, but it's not as many as you think. It's not nearly as big as other industries. So it's like the chances are you run into that person again down the road. Yeah. So just yeah. Don't and be, and I don't be mean. that's. I think that's a good lead into the idolized programmers, not their jerkishness uh, section, section where it's like, yes. uh, you know, there there are certain people who almost have this license to be more of a jerk because they are so uh, t- technically miles ahead of everyone else. You know, there's these, there are these scions in the community. Um, and it's just interesting that, that, uh, that the inability in one thing doesn't, it, it like has all probably no correlation to what that person is like uh, as a as an individual, you know, interpersonal relationships, um, because there are probably plenty of people who are great with other people and who are not jerks and who are also technically just so far ahead of everyone else. And then there are people on the other end of the spectrum. But uh, this this section is kind of making it a point to say when you talk about somebody as a programmer, uh take away the context of their personality of like them being a jerk or not, you know, don't, don't conflate the fact that they're a jerk with the, with the fact that they're a good programmer. Like they can be, they, those two things are completely separate. And I think I, 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 uh, I thought about Steve jobs, you know, people, people say this about Steve jobs a lot where they're sort of like, Oh, well, Steve jobs was a total jerk. And like, he created, you know, one of the biggest companies, uh, in the history of, of, uh, uh I mean, in, in history, one of the biggest companies in history, and they see that as a cause and effect relationship. And I think that's my takeaway from this section. It was like, it's not cause and effect. It's it's maybe correlational or just not even correlated. It might just be coincidence that some of these people happen to be jerks. Uh, yeah, I think a good question to ask there is, why why does someone believe that he Steve Jobs couldn't build Apple being nice? 
Like, what if the company could have done better? You just don't know. You just assume. And I do hear that people point to like Linus Torvald or like some of these people who are just, uh, that's like very caustic personalities. And they're like, yeah, but they're geniuses. So then they, they say like, that's something they want to aspire to, like be this, you know, brain that can say, say and do whatever, like a maverick who say and do whatever they want. Mm-hmm. Um, it's weird that that's the aspiration. I, I see that, like, I feel like that happens in academia, maybe uh, in another field, like people like brilliant, the brilliant asshole. Sorry, we have to, we'll probably have to beat that one. Um, <laughs> but there is that archetype, right? And it's, it's, it just, I, I don't get it. Um, I don't get it. I, I've seen, I've met a lot of leaders and people who are extremely excellent. So, like on the military side, I think of um, there's, there are some of these jerkish leaders, but a lot of them, a lot of leaders that are excellent at what they do. Now it's not programming. It's, you know, infantry work or whatever operators and stuff like that. They are the, they are super nice people. Like they're just really kind and they're going to help you and they're going to, they're going to be servants to you, which is that servant leadership style that I think the military has really pushed, um, where you are basically, you are a shepherd to a flock. You are not beating them from behind, you're leading them from the front and you're doing whatever it takes to help them be better. And I think that is a strong, that's, I wish we could idolize those types of folks that do their best to help everybody and and do their best to raise communities up uh, and not these like singular, uh, very tough to work with 10X, whatever developers, whatever you want to call them, brilliant beep holes. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. It'd be nice if there was a different, if we were in a different world. Yeah. And I don't know why that tends to happen. People, uh, you know, why, why people who are like that, but achieve these, these, you know, these great things, uh, in technology or in science or, or, or wherever, like they tend to get, uh, a lot of attention. They tend to get a lot of, uh, and it, it might be that it's wrapped up in that, you know, it might be that the fact that they're so caustic is making them stand out even more. Um, I don't know, but, uh, but, but it's, it, the the last section here, it's nice to, it's kind of like nice to wrap it up, um, which is that being a jerk hurts science. And I think that's a good, that's like a, I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I read that title and I thought of, uh, you know, when you're in like, I don't know, high school and you have these essays that you're writing and the last one is like your reach for significance paragraph RFS. And, uh, I thought, I, I thought of that when I saw this, cause it's like, it's like, all right, how do we, how do we like take this to its logical limit? And being a jerk hurts science. I think that's a good that's a good way to start. Yeah. So the being a jerk hurts science is that um, some folks that work in open source, their software is used by scientists. So bio, you know, you whatever. Um, I remember one time interviewing for a job of it was like a Harvard backed startup that was trying to uh, map, like do some sort of cancer mapping, and they were using React, and they, they were not a software company. They were they were doctors. Yeah, they had they hired some developers. So I just imagine like you're a scientist and you're you know trying to get uh, a, choose a tool that gets your analysis done as they say as quickly and easily. And then like someone's rude to you <laughs> when you're just trying to get help. You're like I'm trying to cure cancer over here. Give me the <laughs> answer that I need. You know. Uh, so they're like you just don't know your user base. Say if you're an open source software maintainer, your user base might be someone who's doing something. Like not I'm not saying some jobs are. Better, well, yes, they are. People are making like a blog website 
maybe are less important uh, <laughs> customers than people who are trying to like, you know, build some sort of bioinformatics tool to cure cancer. But just treat everybody like they're that bioinformatics tool because they're saying, you know, rude bioinformatics engineers and stuff like that can cause um, these folks to pick different tools that maybe they didn't want to because they didn't want to interfere, like they, they couldn't work with that person. And then mm -hmm. you're literally hurting the outcome of that scientist, which could mm -hmm. be hurting many more people uh, be because yeah. they didn't advance as fast as they wanted to. Yeah, exactly. Like, and it's, you know, you were talking and I was thinking about, it's funny that you ended on advances as quickly as they, as they wanted to. Like, that was the thought that was going through my head when, when you said about how, you know, maybe web developers aren't, uh, aren't having quite the same impact as, as people doing cancer research, but you never know, uh, a person's progression through their career. So like, for one sure. thing, you know, you, you think about on a small scale, you think about some of the beginner, uh, developers who you, who might ask, a question that's been asked a million times before and you might like write them off or give a jerkish answer. But like that person is at that point right now in their career, but like we've all seen different people uh, advance at different rates. And so that person could very quickly ramp up to being uh, a highly knowledgeable person. And um, all of a sudden they are going to be like able to contribute to, you know, what you're working on and, and kind of like raise the, raise the, the, the level of everything. Uh, and you've held them back like you by by you being a jerk, you've held them back from from that potential um, in some small way. But like also, you know, on a bigger scale, I guess the the uh, somebody who is in web development today might go on to be in cancer research a, a year or a couple of years from now. Like you never know what somebody's pro career progression is going to look like. And so uh, just just I guess that's like a thinking to myself, like you are seeing this person at a single moment in time and uh but you never know you know do everything you can to help them become whatever their potential is going to be and rather than taking the you know shaving off two seconds of your day to be like i i can't help this person right now i'm just gonna i'm just gonna like dash off some quick uh quick answer yeah so I, to wrap this up uh if unless you had something else you wanted to cover uh, nope Cool. To wrap this up, take, you know, can some of your like pro tips, can some of your responses, write them down so you don't have to be nice in the moment. You know, if you, if you get the same question a lot, add it to your docs, uh, do a scrub of your docs, whatever you, whatever you own. If you don't have any, please write some. Um, if you, if you have some, absolutely better, you know, yeah. um, can some of your responses so that you can be nicer. And then, in general, assume everybody is a cancer researcher when they're asking you questions. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's that was maybe a bit of a maybe, maybe a bit of a leap I took, but uh, you know, uh, it's not out yeah. of the out of the realm of possibility. No, no, just yeah, just remember people remember meanness and people remember niceness, and you know, I think we all know what side of the fence we want to be on there. Uh, and if you want to be on the mean side of the fence, I don't want to work with you. So please, just like self select away from me. That's right. Yeah. Uh, all right. Cool. Uh, let's see. So, with that, with that left behind us, what um, what are you learning? What are you learning? Is it me? I think you did the uh, you did the TLDR there, so I can talk about what I'm learning a little bit. Um, yeah. Same thing as last week, so I'm still reading the same book. Um, uh, it, it is called An Elegant Puzzle by Will Larson, not Will Schwartz or Will Smith. And uh, <laughs> oh man, this book is. <laughs> 
This book is so good. I uh, I just really like this book a lot. It's it's um, and and I think you know my my takeaway this week just to avoid saying the exact same thing I said last week. I was thinking about how you know what what this week's takeaway is, and I was thinking about how you know engineering management books when you're an engineer, when you're not a, a manager or like with, with no sort of prospect of going into being a manager, um, you kind of like, uh, you can write them off. At least I know I tend to, but I had a couple of years ago, um, I had read, read a couple of engineering management books and looking back on it now and reading this book, An Elegant Puzzle, I think about actually how important that can be to, as an engineer, get this viewpoint, like a totally different perspective of uh, what are the problems that engineering managers are trying to solve and and how are they approaching things differently than than I am as an engineer in the moment? You know, I just uh, I, that thought occurred to me while I was reading this book on kind of organizational behavior. And uh, and I think it's just really valuable. It's it's really valuable to um, yeah to get that other perspective. Uh, and I'm certainly thankful that I read some of those books a couple of years ago, even though the past couple of years I've spent still being an individual contributor. It sounds like you're not anymore. <laughs> weird. Uh, yeah, Your phrasing weird. sounds like you're pretty not weird it an individual like contributor. <laughs> and you're reading a book about management and getting something different than when you read it as an engineer. It is funny. What does yep. that put you now? <laughs> Anyways, so here's what I'm learning. Uh, I am starting the journey or have started the journey to become or to get a certification uh, so it's the IAAP WAS certification, which is the International Association of Accessibility Professionals Web Accessibility Specialist certification. Nice. And um, this is sort of the, this takes, it's like a, you need three to five years of experience working in accessible products. And it's a, um, it's like their flagship middle ground cert. Cause there's like easier ones or not easier ones, but kind of like more entry-level ones that are broader, more general. The web accessibility web accessibility specialist certification is like a you know their linchpin one that you can then go on to get uh, a few more that are like really hyper specialized and extreme like kind of hard to maintain and those mm -hmm. are used for like uh, so government accessibility specialists typically have to get the uh, I, for I forget the next one but um, I'm getting the WAS one so that's gonna it's gonna take me a little while I think it's gonna probably take a couple months um, so things that I'm learning along the way is just some really nuanced accessibility work, you know, stuff mm -hmm. like how we're, we, you know, I've, I saw this problem the other day. It was how we handle, how screen readers handle operator characters, for instance. And by operator characters, I mean like equal sign, greater than, you know, exclamation point. And those are part of like, pro, you know, if you have filters or leucine query syntax filters, if you're doing searches and those searches need to be accessible, uh -huh. how you're reading that out. And it will be like this thing equals equals because you have to also write equals as the word for the sighted user. And it would be like something equals equals, blah, blah, blah. And it makes no sense. You know, it's difficult to read, but then not all screen readers read the operator character in the same way. So in order to do that, you need to standardize something using an abbreviation tag and then mm. hide the operator character. So like, there's just so much stuff that you would never, like things that I thought I knew accessibility work, man, there's so much there. So, mm -hmm. uh, and also like practicing using a screen reader with a blindfold. And that's, I just do that a lot now, which is pretty fun of like how to, 
And I, I'll watch YouTube videos of how screen reader pe- uh, folks that that use a screen reader day to day use a screen reader. And man, it's way more advanced than if you just turn on voiceover and start tabbing yeah. around while you watch your screen. It's yeah. a whole different bag of tricks. So uh, I'm really I'm excited about it. So that's what I'm learning. That's great. That's a great idea, by the way, of using a using a screen reader with no, you know, uh, not as a sighted person, you know, with with taking away your your perception of sight, um, which is like you know still not getting into the same experiences as that person as a non-sighted person but uh but yeah that's i think that's at least like a good a good idea because like i've done that before where i'm trying to work on accessibility stuff and i'm just have the voiceover but i'm still looking at the screen and i'm like not even thinking to myself like hey right maybe you should maybe there's just something extra going on here you're adding so much context by what you see so like yeah your your brain is is stitching things together for you Mm -hmm. uh without you even realizing it so it's tough. I mean, using using a lot of websites with no visual cue will hopefully give you some empathy for the accessible situation, you know, the yeah. handicap situation, because uh, we really like, we need to do a better job in general. There are some sites that do a great job though. So uh, maybe I'll call some out in the future as I continue to do this stuff. Nice. Um, yeah, because you're, you're no spring chicken when it comes to accessibility. Like you are one of the more knowledgeable people on accessibility already. And so, and so it's interesting hearing you say like it's even more nuanced than, than you thought. It's kind of intimidating to try and get into from the beginning, I think, you know, just because of that. You see these people who have a lot of the answers and you're like, okay, well, I can start learning this stuff, but it's, it's just sort of like uh, looking up at the top of a mountain. Um, my question for you is, do you have uh, any like goal of of the, using the certification like once you once you have the cert- certification yeah i mean there's a, so it's it's an internal goal um within the company that i work at but there nice. is a person that i work with who is one of those people um I, you know i can't i don't think i can say his name for whatever reason i think he's pretty secretive about this stuff but i mm-hmm. work with a, a person within aws who is a remarkable software development engineer who, uh, in terms of accessibility, like the, the ability to translate the concept, the depth of knowledge, knowing every, it just seems like they just know literally everything about Ally, which is intimidating. Like you say, I appreciate you saying that I know some stuff about Ally, but I look at all these other folks and I'm getting the WAS and they're like, well, that thing's worth bleep. You know, (laughs) I've been doing accessibility work for 20 years and I'm like, oh shit. (laughs) I <laughs> ah, just swore a second. Ah, anyways, um, but anyway, so this guy's, you know, he is like the, he is the guy at AWS for ally work. And um, I want to be more like him. So, you know, he, uh, there are some, there are some tools that we're building that I, that are good and I want them to be great. You know, I, mm-hmm. I, I like, because our tools touch so many people, uh, you know, I'm, I'm on an internal tooling team. Uh, 1.8 million people use the tools that we build. And uh, I think it'd be really nice to be able to make those not just good, but excellent and reach single A compliance or triple A compliance. I forget the other way. I always go for double, mm-hmm. uh, double, double is good. But anyways, just how to make them great. Right. And I think I, I want to know that. So that's why I'm doing this. I want to get as much certification under my belt because it's a, it's a forcing mechanism to study and to continue yep. to push. Right. So I think you get the WAS, then you go into the CPAP, you get all these different things. And then it's like, how much will this force me to study so that I could, I could have this person, this is, I have a target in my mind is this guy, like, how good can I get to that level and how many years is it going to take? 
so that's great. Know, the the certifications will force me to study. I I just know that about myself. So yeah, that's great. That's that is great. I uh, that is admirable. You know, I really like uh, I like that mentality of like I know what we have is good. I want to make it great. And like, that's like, that's like, that's awesome. I mean, it, totally unsurprising coming, coming from you, but, uh, but that's, that's, thanks, awesome. man. That's nice. Of you. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, as if we needed any more, any more good news here, we're going to roll right into our sailing away on the good news cruise section. <laughs> yes. You might've Rowan noticed lives. Extra, extra little on there. <laughs> if you didn't listen 45 minutes into one of our earlier episodes <laughs> that was from one of our very special guests anyways so is it my turn it's my turn for good news right sure is okay i am back on my environmental good news because i love this stuff uh last week obviously an owl escaped that was great news this one is that uh according to a new report Building new renewable energy capacity is now cheaper than continuing to operate any coal plant in the U.S. So the headline is U.S. coal plants are now more expensive than renewables. Um, as of last year, it is cheaper because of the plummeting cost of renewable energy to build a comparable level of energy output with renewables than it is to either stand up or maintain a coal plant. Uh, so... No matter how entrenched you are in fossil fuels, if you're a big you're a big oil guy because you're a terrible person, <laughs> um, <laughs> people follow the money, right? So I think if Exxon could make as much money with renewables as they do with gas, they do that. They, they're not, you know, they don't love gasoline; they love money. So I think if we can continue to push uh, on driving the cost of renewables down, and that becomes the economically viable solution, the free market will push that way. And mm -hmm. I always think that's going to be that, you know, what's the watershed moment when we finally have clean energy as the economically viable uh, solution. And it sounds like we're starting to get there. Like we, we had, I did one earlier in the couple episodes ago where I said the yep. amount of investment in renewable versus fossil is finally equalized. And it looks like it's pushing more investment to renewables. And now we have costs dropping on renewable energy sources and it's cheaper to do that than to maintain a coal plant. So unless you're just a psychopath that wants to maintain coal plants for no reason <laughs> and lose a bunch of money, it sounds like over the next 10 years, right? This is, it takes a long time, but if the money's there, we're going to move in the right direction. So I always get excited about stuff like this. It feels like these tectonic plates shifting a little bit Yes. when I read stories like this and it doesn't, it's not going to change today, but over time you're going to look around and you're like, oh, we have two coal plants left. Oh, we have zero coal plants left. Yep. Yeah. That's right. Well, I mean- that's pretty small potatoes compared to my good news, my environmental good news, which ties into yours. I was going to talk about a different thing, but I'll sa I'll save that one because mine okay. ties directly into yours, which is uh, I watched, which is uh, coffee roasting. Uh, the coffee roasting is usually done with natural gas to heat up the heat up the the element, and uh, you know it's it that is uh, not the best for the environment. You could find some alternate sources. So this is going to change the world just as much as uh, renewable energy being now more, uh, what'd you say? The, the, like the, oh yeah, the cost of renewable energy. Yeah. Uh, Wait, it, what are they doing with the, you didn't say what they're doing yeah, with the coffee uh, roasting. Well, so, okay. 
<laughs> You're like coffee so me, roasting. Good coffee, coffee roasting. So let me let me back up a sec. So uh, <laughs> last night last night we watched this this video by this guy named James Hoffman, who is one of my uh, he's one of my favorite YouTube subscriptions. I I really like this guy. He's like a coffee guy, and he talks about he's he he has. I've actually bought some merch from him that says like weird coffee person, because nice. uh, that's his whole thing. Anyway, he does all these like weird coffee science experiments about like. Uh, you know, ca- what's the what different caffeine content and different taste? You know, he he does all this taste testing. The one he did uh, yesterday in this video is um, he he uh, found there's a company that is producing a coffee roaster that is electron is electric. It's like uh, electrically powered, so it's not the heating is is electric. It's not using natural gas to heat up the coffee. Um, and so he went out into the desert. And set up uh, a solar, uh, like a big solar panel, and charged a bunch of batteries. And then that night, after the day's solar energy energy had been collected, he like roasted a bunch of coffee using the batteries with this electric coffee roaster. Cool, way better than than uh, than coal plants being less economically viable than. Hey, <laughs> every bit counts. Okay, <laughs> if we start roasting coffee with electricity instead of natural gas, that's Another brick in the wall, man. Another brick That's in right. the wall. You don't yeah. know how much coffee I roast. This is going to be, it's going to, it's going to. We buy these like two and a half pound, three pound bags of Pete's coffee beans from Costco. And we we just like literally, we tear through them because we grind it <laughs> and then make the coffee. And I'll make, we use a ton of coffee when we make coffee. People mm-hmm. are alarmed when they come to our house and drink our <laughs> coffee because it's basically just full cups of what tastes like espresso. Uh, so we are just, we're just churning and burning through coffee beans. So I think if they can make that better for the environment, I will sleep better at night. Yep. Absolutely. All right. I think that's going to do it unless you have anything else. No, crisp 49 minutes here. Not bad. Go. All right, everybody. Uh, Remember to like and subscribe and tell your friends. And of course, feel free to write in if you have any questions or you want us to talk about an article in a future episode or you, uh, you, yeah, just any questions you want, you want to, uh, you want answered. Uh, go to runtimerundown.com and do that. That would be a good place to go. Joe's <laughs> <laughs> just, just like, just, just yell them just into the ether. Out loud. Like, <laughs> I declare a question. <laughs> And then we'll hear it through our advanced artificial intelligence. Dear Joe and Evan. That's right. That works every time like a dream. No, for real, go to runtimerundown.com. And uh, there's a suggestion box in there. If, it's also open source. If you want to work on that website. That's right. Shoo, I would love that. It's the Next.js app. Uh, we, we, we won't be jerks. We won't be jerks. Uh, we're going to be really good about open source. You can ask lots of questions. We'll be happy to pair code with you, do all sorts of stuff, review your code, all these things. Uh, we love contributors. And yeah, anyways, I just went off the rails there. But yeah, <laughs> go to runtimerundown.com, Starheart favorite us up. Tell all your friends too, because we keep getting more people and we would like to have even more people. So, yeah. you know, tell 10 friends tomorrow or else well, it's like one of those email chains from back in the nineties. Like if you don't tell 10 <laughs> people, then like a curse will befall your family. Uh, yeah. you're going to stub your toe tomorrow if you don't tell 10 people. That's right. Yeah. Uh, All right. I love, I love hearing, uh, from a new person who's like, Oh, Hey, I listened to your show the other day. And I was like, wait, you listen to our show. I love that. What? I know. It's awesome. Yeah. So please yeah. keep doing that. It's super exciting. Thank you for listening and we'll see you next week. See ya.